You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. I trust you had a lovely, restful, thankful Thanksgiving. And you've already seen what I told you would happen, which is this was never going to be about give up your freedom Give up your liberty just for this one day. No, in fact, the arguments that they made about how you should cancel Thanksgiving, about how you're not allowed to enjoy this holiday, those arguments were inevitably going to extend past the holiday, which raises a very important question. Why can they never tell us the truth about what the real goals are? Why is it that those who are Devoted, I would say ideologically, almost spiritually now, devoted to the most extreme lockdowns possible. Why is it that they won't tell us what they really plan on doing? That we have to sit here and continuously get told, do this, and then we do it, and then it's, oh, but there's one more thing. Or we changed our mind. Or let's do something else now. Is it because the data is shifting, or is it because... They can't be honest with you, and they can't be honest with themselves. They can't tell you what they really plan to do, and they can't let you know that they've made so many mistakes in the past already. Here we are going into this period, going into the holidays, and we were told that we weren't allowed to enjoy Thanksgiving. We were told that we had to assume that we were putting people in jeopardy if we spent time with loved ones over Thanksgiving and and the way they set it up, it was, well, it's just this one thing. Now, wait two weeks, except in this case, it was wait a couple of days. Don't see anyone on Thanksgiving. Okay. well, now are we allowed to see people over Christmas? No, of course not. Are you allowed to celebrate Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, whatever your holiday season means for you? Are you told that now you're uh, cleared? To spend time with relatives, to be around other people? No, no, the lockdowners are expanding the argument they made about one holiday into all of the holidays to come. This is what they do. 15 days to slow the spread became uh, became two months, became six months, and so on. You've seen it happen. You know this. And that's why I think finally enough people have seen this. They understand the way that this is going to continue to unfold that they say, I'm just not going to play the game anymore. I'm not going to obey. This is unacceptable to me. And they've received a very important uh, assistance here in that, you know how I've been saying what these mandates are is unconstitutional. I've been telling you this for months, that the Constitution still counts. That just because there are a bunch of Democrat politicians, not all Democrats, some Republicans, too, but just because there are Democrat politicians. Who think they've got a really good reason, it's really important, their ideas, their goals really matter so much here. So the Constitution no longer counts. That's not how it works. That's not how our system was built. That ignores the principles and the separation of powers that gives our government the authority that it has in the first place. There are areas which we cannot allow the encroachment of the authorities under any circumstances 
and certainly not under extended ad hoc as they see fit circumstances. This was the first legal challenge that we've had that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it showed that, yes, in fact, the restrictions on religious services were capricious, arbitrary, unconstitutional. This was the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn in New York versus Governor Cuomo. And by 5-4, it went in favor of the diocese and other uh, and other complaints. Uh, you had in this instance, the uh, you had two synagogues, an Orthodox Jewish organization, two individuals and the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn. And they claim that Governor Cuomo in New York violated their constitutional protections for the free exercise of religion. And this was a 5-4 decision that in a sane world would have been 9-0. Here's, here's what's at the heart of this. Now, it's, they didn't say that there could never be restrictions on religious freedom, right? That, that's actually not the, it wasn't as sweeping an order as that. What they did say is, you can't have vape stores and acupuncturists and, you know, pet therapists open and not allow people to go to church or give them different treatment. And that's what you were seeing. Democrats were giving disparate treatment to religious services because ultimately the religion of the state, the religion of the authoritarian left, more important than actual connection to and celebration of one's relationship with God. That's what was going on here. Who do you think joined the three libs on the Supreme Court to make this one close? Thank heavens we have Amy Coney Barrett on the court. Uh, the only move for Trump, not only was it a good move, the only move was to get that done before the election. Could you imagine if he had waited? What would the point of that have been? Um, of course, John Roberts, who is yet another enduring legacy of failure and bad decision making of the Bush administration. Let's just be honest about that. John Roberts knows better, but he wants to be considered the the reasonable conservative on the court. He, he wants to be the guy that The New York Times doesn't totally trash. He doesn't want people saying mean things about him at the cocktail parties. Right? That's what's going on here. John Roberts join the three libs in saying, yeah, no, government can do whatever it wants through your religious freedom and services. The Constitution doesn't really count here. Sorry. There's this virus out there that, you know, kills one in a thousand people who get it. So and if that uh, so we're, we're not allowed to have any constitutional religious freedom anymore. We're going to shut down your church. And, and they were they weren't even trying to make this intelligent. One thing that came up in this case is that you had the same restrictions on, say, St. Patrick's Cathedral here in New York City, only allowed, you know, either it's 10 or 25, depending uh, on whether it's a red zone or an orange zone, and these zones were shifting. Think about this. You know, think about the, the pressure and the strain that they put on these institutions by not only putting caps on attendance, but putting caps that change, that are, that are variable at any, at any moment in time. So you had a, a small, let's say a small, more like a chapel open to the public, had the same restrictions as St. Patrick's Cathedral. How does that make sense? 
How would a massive church that can fit thousands, why would that have the same attendance restrictions as a tiny chapel that has a small space, much less air circulation, much less ability to social distance and all this stuff? Well, of course, it doesn't make sense. And anybody with a moment's thought would figure that out. Anybody could understand right away that this is absurd. But now you see they've gotten you to agree to so much. They've forced so much absurd COVID policy down our throats, jammed it into our faces. They've done this so many times that at this point they feel like they can do whatever they want to do. Whatever restriction, however arbitrary and silly it may be, it's about COVID, so we are supposed to listen. We're not allowed to question. We're not allowed to take a different approach. Or else. You saw people over the weekend operating their businesses in violation of COVID shutdown mandates, whether they're talking about a bar or a restaurant or a gym. People are saying not going to do this anymore. And some were arrested. Now you're seeing the problem with, Okay, we'll just go along the state. I mean, they're just trying to keep us safe. They're not really going to hurt us if we don't do what they say. No. When the state makes a declaration. When and I mean that by big S and little s state, when your state government or when the overall state, the authority, the government tells you you have to do something. If it's wrong, if it's a violation of your freedoms, It's not enough to say, well, I don't think that they'll come for me. I don't think they'll enforce this one against me. It's wrong in principle. It's wrong in practice. And it's time for people to say no more. No more lockdown tyranny. The numbers are not on their sides. Look at all this stuff you're seeing with masks. Oh, they're telling you that you have to wear more masks now than ever before. Meanwhile, places that have had mandates for months, months, No better off, and they can't even try to make a case, no better off than places that haven't had mandates. If these things work the way that we're led to believe, notice they never give you numbers or percentages. They just say, oh, no, they work. If they worked in a way that was clear, and keep in mind that Dr. Fauci at the beginning of the year and all of modern pandemic science had said, no, you're not, you don't have to wear these things. They changed their mind on that. And now it's, oh, you're an imbecile if you question it. Meanwhile, look at the places that have mask mandates and have almost 100 percent compliance. I mean, I'm in New York City. Cases are rising. Cases are rising. No one goes indoors without a mask on. You don't see it anywhere. And people outdoors are wearing them, too. And there's no signs to back up outdoor mask mandates. Are we so much better off? We have have cases spiking in all of these Democrat mask mandate areas. So what are we to believe? It would be twice as high, 50% higher. What's what's really the net benefit of this, the effect of this? And notice how it's wear a mask and we're also going to lock you down. They keep doing all of these things that if any one of them actually worked, they wouldn't need to do all of the other things. But they claim there's some general benefit. We can't prove it. We don't know how good it is, but we're, we're going to insist that you do what we say. Social distance, mask up between bites, stay away from your relatives. Assume, I saw Dr. Burke say this, assume that you've been infected. If you saw anybody over Thanksgiving, get tested this week. Well, I could get tested this week, but I could also get infected today. And then would that even show up in a test that I took this morning? I mean, it's, it's also, it's all so flimsy. It's fear and control and panic 
and the exploitation thereof by people in charge. That's what's happening here. Enough is enough. They have been lying to you. The people in charge are wrong and they don't have the authority to do what they've been doing. Now we've taken it all the way up to the Supreme Court and they're not allowed to just say 10 people in church, but anybody who wants to go vape, go to the vape store, have fun. You know, not allowed to kneel before God, but go buy yourself a weed whacker at Home Depot. That's that's absolutely essential. That's the government that we've had during this pandemic in this year. And I'm pleased to see that at least the Archdiocese of Brooklyn said this is unacceptable and they took action. More people need to take action. We need to bury. We need to drown these authoritarians in lawsuits or else we will never get our freedoms back. Because it's not just about COVID now. It's about them being able to make you do things for which they cannot even prove a benefit because they say it's good for you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Jersey's had a statewide mask mandate since July, yet your numbers, as we talked about, have gone up exponentially in recent weeks. So what's happening? Is it not working? Are people not doing it? Are you not enforcing it? Yeah, we, we've had one on the inside since even well before that. We were one of the first states in America to have the indoor mask requirement, and that is overwhelmingly adhered to. Uh, outdoors, folks largely are doing the right thing. Uh, I, I don't think that's where the transmission is coming from. Uh, although we've reduced outdoor gathering limits effective tomorrow, um, I, I think most of this, Brett, is on the inside. And I do think it's folks letting their hair down. And, and they're fatigued. Who the heck could blame them? Uh, New Jerseyans did the unthinkable in the spring. We crushed a curve that was overwhelming. Um, I have every confidence we could do it again, but I would just beg folks, particularly in the holiday season, particularly before we get to a vaccine, don't let your hair down. Keep your guard up. And remember, in particular, intergenerational spread from an asymptomatic, healthy young person to grandma, grandpa. uh, That is our biggest fear. That's the governor of New Jersey. And I'm sure you'd have the same Double speak and nonsense if you ask Gavin Newsom in California, if you ask Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, if you ask any, any number of state governors across the country, uh, Polis in Colorado, he just got COVID. I think his wife got it, too, which is so strange because he's a big mask advocate. I'm sure he was masking up all the time. Remember when Trump got it? It was his fault. He's a bad person. He doesn't mask up enough. But when Democrat governors get it, who are imposing mask mandates on everyone else and who are big believers in the glories of wearing a mask, right? The, the wonderful symbolism of wearing a mask. Uh, it's not their fault. It's just a thing that happened. Oh, okay. Well, notice the governor of New Jersey here dances around the point, dances around the answers to the question because we ask him, hold on, hold on a second. Why is it? Why is it that you've had a mask mandate since the middle of the summer? And we were all told when the cases were low during the mask mandate, see, look what a great job you're doing, New York and New Jersey. See, you guys, a little pat on the head for all of us, all the people, the citizens, the folks who live here, the residents were told, good job. You did what we said. So you're not dying or you're not killing grandma. And we keep doing what they say and doing what they say and obeying these mandates. 
And now, boom, huge spike going to the end of November in cases. And you have, I mean, here, I'm looking at the numbers as I talk to you. April 16th, you had one of the absolute high points of cases in New Jersey. You had about 4,000, about 4,000 cases. It was like 4,287. Now here we are. Mass mandates since the summer. And we're at 4275 as of uh, late November, or 4473 as of November 26th. So the peak of the pandemic in the spring, we're at that same number of cases in New Jersey now. And we've had a mask mandate and we've had we have social distancing. We have all these things. They never allow for the possibility that these policies, these mandates don't work. What do they do? It's exactly what I told you they would do. It's your fault. It's not enough. You're not doing enough, you see. You're the problem. Oh, okay. Isn't, isn't that convenient for people that have been trampling on constitutional rights? Isn't it, isn't it convenient for all of us to see that what's really happening here is they can't explain why what they've insisted we do does not work So what they're telling us is we're not doing it the way we're supposed to. But somehow we were when the cases were really low. All you have to do is think and you see how flimsy this is. Just think for yourself. Look at the data, the obvious data. Look at cases, look at timelines, look at mandates. Their policies do not make a difference. Doesn't matter. Doesn't work. People are still living their lives enough. There's still enough human contact. There's still enough ability to spread the virus. Even with distancing and mandates and masks, it still spreads. But they still want to take away your freedoms, even though it doesn't work. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest news and information from Buck by heading to BuckSexton.com. We won the election easily. There's no way Joe Biden got 80 million votes. I just said there's no way Joe Biden beat Barack Obama in the black communities of various cities. And then he did very badly compared to Obama in other cities throughout the United States. There's no way it happened. This This election was a fraud. It was a rigged election. President not backing off a bit. He's in this fight until the end. And people are looking at this now and, and seeing as we analyze the data, as we have a little bit more time to digest this meal of an election that has been offered up to all of us, something smells funky. A lot of stuff, a little too chewy. Something's wrong here. There's a problem. Joe Biden got 80 million votes. I can't tell you how much this is a shock to those of us who believe that our fellow Americans have the have the basic ability of discernment to recognize that Joe Biden is a loser. And yet Joe Biden got more votes than any president in history. More votes than anyone ever. That's right. For Joe Biden. Uh, This guy is a deeply unimpressive Democrat machine politician. Never done anything worthwhile for anyone in his life in public office. But here he is. Actually, maybe the crime bill that he passed that he now runs away from because Democrats have gone back to uh, coddling criminals and acting like uh, locking people up when they do very bad things makes us an evil country. But Joe Biden getting 80 million votes. Okay, let's 
let's spend a little time on this. There was a piece uh, over the weekend in The Federalist by J.B. Shirk. And I, I haven't heard of Mr. J.B. Shirk before. J- uh, President Trump retweeted this. And this was this was really brilliant. I mean, it, it just lays it out for you. These these are facts. Instead of spending our time today just talking about the same allegations without giving more data to back it up. Uh, we'll do some of that. Right. We need to keep keep track of what's being said about this election. But here are some things that we know for a fact are true at this point. And this all comes from the Federalist.com, this J.B. Shirk piece, which the president shared. It's gone mega viral over the weekend. And we started with one of them. 80, number one, 80 million votes. Here's what he writes. Holy moly. A lot of Americans turned out for a Washington politician who's been in office for nearly 50 years. Consider this. No incumbent president in nearly a century and a half has gained votes in a reelection campaign and still lost. President Trump gained more than 10 million votes since his 2016 victory. But Biden's appeal was so substantial that it overcame President Trump's record support among minority voters. Biden also shattered Barack Obama's popular vote totals, really calling into question whether it was not perhaps Biden who pulled Obama across the finish line in 2008 and 2012. Uh, uh, Proving how sharp his political instincts are, the former VP managed to gather a record number of votes while consistently trailing President Trump in measures of voter enthusiasm. Biden was so savvy that he motivated voters unenthusiastic about his campaign to vote for him in record numbers. These are facts. Everything that I've just told you here, everything I'm, I'm quoting here from Mr. Shirk in The Federalist. These are just facts. Joe Biden. Think about that for a second. Joe Biden got over 80 million votes. Really? Really? He did badly in a lot of places where he was supposed to do well. But in a few places, he was able to blow all previous Democrats completely out of the water. And obviously all Republicans. That is interesting. And remember who we're talking about here. Barack Obama. And I I've I was obviously in opposition to the Obama administration on a policy level, strenuously in opposition to him. But I understood what the appeal was. I I know what Democrats were seeing and thinking when they thought they had this almost messianic figure in Barack Obama running for president of the United States. Does any person with a, a basic grip on reality, does anyone think that Joe Biden is a messianic figure. I mean, I don't think any Democrats believe that. Never mind Republicans. No. Okay. And yet 80 million votes for Biden, huh? Very interesting. Voter enthusiasm for Biden, very low. Democrats were able to get those machines turned on, so to speak. Well, maybe not just so to speak and get those votes counted. Okay. Number two in this piece. Winning despite losing most bellwether counties. Biden is set to become the first president in 60 years to lose the states of Ohio and Florida on his way to election. For a century, these states have consistently predicted the national outcome, and they've been considered roughly representative of the American melting pot as a whole. Despite national polling giving Biden a lead in both the states, he lost Ohio by eight points and Florida by more than by more than three. 
For Biden to lose these key bellwethers by notable margins and still win the national election is newsworthy. Not since the mafia allegedly aided John Kennedy in winning Illinois over Richard Nixon in 1960 has an American president pulled off this neat trick. Even more unbelievably, Biden is on his way to winning the White House after having lost almost every historic bellwether county across the country. Wall Street Journal and the Epoch Times independently analyzed the results of 19 counties around the United States that have nearly perfect presidential voting records over the last 40 years. President Trump won every single bellwether county except Clallam County in Washington, whereas the former VP picked up Clallam by about three points. Trump's margin of victory in the other 18 counties averaged over 16 points. In a larger list of 58 bellwether counties that have correctly picked the president since 2000, Trump won 51 of them by an average of 15 points, while the other seven went to Biden by around four points. <clears throat> so the bellwether counties, Ohio, Florida, go to so end quote there and the bellwether counties and Ohio and Florida go to Trump and somehow Biden still wins. So what has been and this is by now we're looking at results. here. This is not poll based. This is results based. When you look at counties that have in the aggregate told you if you won those counties, you became the president for the last 40 years. Joe Biden was able to break that trend. Really? Joe Biden was able to break that trend. That that's amazing. Joe Biden must be the greatest politician in the history of the republic. I mean, how could he pull this off? How was he able to do this? He's so amazing. I guess we just don't see it. Hmm. Or there's something else going on here. Or maybe, just maybe, there was foul play in this election. There was fraud, friends. The issue isn't whether there was fraud. The issue is how much fraud was the fraud enough and was enough of it provable that that's all that it took uh, to change the election. Is that that's what we're left with at this point, not. Oh, but it was a perfect election. Everything was clean. Everything was great. Nobody really believes. Nobody who knows anything believes that. Number three in this excellent piece on the Federalist dot com. Biden trailed Clinton, except in a few select cities. Um. Patrick Basham, a pollster with an accurate track record, highlighted two observations made by fellow colleagues that Biden underperformed Hillary Clinton in every major metro area around the country, except for Milwaukee, Detroit, Atlanta and Philadelphia. Huh. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? I, I think that that's something that you'd have to. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? Now, there is an addendum here. Um, an addendum here that at National Review. You have Dan McLaughlin saying that, no, it wasn't only four major swing city, swing state cities where that changed here, um, that there it was it was more than that. But. When you look at the uh, a lot of these cities, Biden still performed incredibly well, incredibly well. And we're talking about Joe Biden here. 
Number four, Biden won despite Democrat losses everywhere else. This is one of the one of the biggest challenges for me to, to, to get past and believe. Oh, yeah, this was fine. This makes sense. Here we go. Quote, Randy DeSoto noted in the Western Journal that Donald Trump was pretty much the only incumbent president in U.S. history to lose his reelection while his own party gained seats in the House of Representatives. That's a Biden miracle. In 2020, the Cook Political Report and the New York Times rated 27 House seats as toss ups going into Election Day. Right now, Republicans appear to have won all 27. Democrats failed to flip a single state House chamber while Republicans flipped both the House and the Senate in New Hampshire and expanded their dominance of state legislatures across the country. Uh, okay, so does somebody want to come up with what is the rationale here? How could that happen? You're in a presidential election year, but you have all these down ballot races. And this has been overshadowed by the Trump Biden ongoing battle. But Republicans did really well. They had a difficult Senate map to defend. And we know George is not yet done, but it looks likely they will. I shouldn't I don't want to jinx it, but it looks likely they will maintain Senate control. They picked up House seats. They did very well in state legislatures, but. Trump lost and not and didn't lose by a little bit. I mean, when you add up both the Electoral College tally as well as the popular vote of the popular vote doesn't really matter, as we know. But if you look at just the vote counts in the aggregate, if you believe what happened in this election, Trump lost by a lot. Right. I mean, this is not a close. This is not really a a close election. If you think that what happened in all these states is what happened. If if you look at this, if he doesn't flip back Arizona or Georgia or Michigan or uh, or Pennsylvania. Not a particularly close election, really. I mean, close enough by he did win Florida and Ohio, but that's a substantial victory. Do you believe that Joe Biden could really pull that off? Again, this is not proof, but this is context for everything else that we're talking about. And these these are real numbers. This is not conjecture or supposition. And then the final one here in this piece, Biden overcame Trump's commanding primary vote. Here you go. Quote, in the past, primary vote totals have been remarkably uh, accurate in predicting general election winners. Political analyst David Chapman highlighted three historical facts. First, no incumbent who has received 75 percent of the total primary vote has lost reelection. Second, President Trump received 94 percent of the primary vote, the fourth highest of all time, higher than Dwight Eisenhower, Nixon, Clinton or Obama. Trump is only one of five incumbents since 1912 to receive more than 90 percent of the primary vote. Uh, And Trump set a record for most primary votes by an incumbent when more than 18 million people turned out for him in 2020 for Biden to prevail in the general election, despite Trump's historic support in the primaries turns a century's worth of prior election data on its head. Joe Biden achieved the impossible. It's interesting that many more journalists aren't pointing that out. Joe Biden achieved the impossible. That's really the line here. And people who say, oh, but look at Trump in 2016. No, Trump was was it was claimed by the media that he had no chance. It was claimed by the establishment that he could never win. And then he did. 
And then they lied about it with Russia collusion, all the rest. This is different. What we're seeing here is now Biden's win, if that's what it ends up being. Biden's win is premised on breaking and you know eradicating all of the previous metrics and political narratives that have been built up for presidential le- elections for decades. The trends that would predict the winner didn't matter. That's asking a lot. It's not impossible, but it's asking a lot, especially given what we are seeing in terms of the way these states have some very suspicious activities going on with these ballot counts. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the media doesn't even want to cover it. I mean, you're doing something. You're actually very brave because you're doing something. The media doesn't want to talk about it. They know how fraudulent this is. It's no different than Hunter. It's no different than Hunter. They don't want to talk about Hunter. So they totally closed it off. Big tech and the media, other than the New York Post, as you remember, which took a lot of heat. It was terminated. It was terminated from, yep. I guess, Twitter, maybe Facebook. Uh, but uh, it's a it's a situation the likes of which we don't have freedom of the press in this country. We have suppression by the press. They suppress. You know, you can't have a scandal if nobody reports about it. This is the greatest fraud in the history of our country from an electoral standpoint. And I guess you could build it up bigger than an electrical. St- what's what's bigger from an a electoral standpoint? What's bigger than this? This is the essence of our country. This is. The whole ball game, And they cheated. Trump is saying they cheated. He's not backing down one bit. And he's got his legal team out there bringing these different challenges. And here's what is definitely true. I mean, meaning that we know it's true already. Democrats bent rules, broke rules, really, but changed rules to suit their own electoral advantage and used COVID. I mean, this this election was only possible to happen in this way because of the narrative around COVID-19. It's safe for people to vote and and do that even in this era of COVID. But Democrats had convinced everybody, you know, they they used COVID in so many ways to defeat this president. Without COVID-19, Donald Trump wins re-election, no question. And they all knew that. And Pelosi knew that. The Democrats, Schumer, they all knew this. Which is why they were spreading those insane conspiracy theories over the summer that Trump was defunding the post office. There was no need for there to be mail-in balloting because of COVID, but they said that that's what had to happen. And so in different in some key states like Pennsylvania, they changed the rules to suit Democrat needs. Were they allowed to do that? Was that fair? Was that legal? Was it constitutional? Those are the questions that if we had an honest press, they'd be asking, but they're not. They're already just writing stories about the Biden transition team and and cabinet measuring the drapes on their new offices in the White House. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. Which cases specifically will reach the Supreme Court and when? Well, the problem is it's hard to get into the Supreme Court. I've got the best Supreme Court uh, advocates, uh, lawyers, uh, that want to argue the case if it gets there. 
But they said it's very hard to get a case up there. Can you imagine Donald Trump, president of the United States, files a case, and I probably can't get a case, even with, and we have tremendous proof, we have hundreds and hundreds of affidavits, sworn affidavits, and it's very hard to get a case to the Supreme Court. That's what everybody's fighting for. I thought that Mike Kelly, congressman, I thought they had a great case, and it got thrown out the other day. Now they'll appeal it, I hope, to the Supreme Court. They have a great case because uh, the legislature didn't make the decision on this stuff, and they have a great case. But you have to appeal it. The big thing is, can you get it? That's a big part of it. The president's right insofar as it's not a sure thing the Supreme Court will take up any individual, any specific challenge. Right. But the president is also is also right that, you know, this this needs to be figured out, that we have to find a way forward here where we can get answers about this. And it's going to require taking it to the Supreme Court. But there are no guarantees right now in Pennsylvania. uh, The uh, appeals court judge there has already ruled against the Trump team, the Trump legal team in saying that. They're not going to throw out all these ballots because there were rule changes made to the election before the election. That's that's a very short version of a much more complicated legal argument. And so now they're trying to appeal it to the Supreme Court. That's where it is. Now, for this, we should all ask, we should all understand, well, hold hold on a minute. Uh, Can we even trust? Look at what just happened as I've been talking to you. uh, Look at what happened with the lockdown issue and religious freedom. You can't trust John Roberts, okay? Can't trust him. Guy will always find a way. Somehow, whatever the lib, legal, and media establishment thinks is the moderate path, which is not the same thing as actually being a moderate, that's what he will do. So you can't trust him. All right? That's four. Where does that fifth vote come in? Could be Kavanaugh. Could be Gorsuch. Who knows? Gorsuch, on the case about religious freedom, was pretty good. He actually said... It's time, past time, to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates color-coded executive edicts that reopen liquor stores and bike shops, but shutter churches, synagogues, and mosques. Yeah. That that even had to go to the Supreme Court, that we needed the Supreme Court to weigh in on that, tells you just how much jeopardy religious freedom is really in this country. And how many violations of religious freedom have been ongoing now? Right. But I'll take I'll take a win. I wish we wasn't a win that we needed, but I'll take it. But even if we get to the Supreme Court, understand, my friends, there are no guarantees. What do you think the mentality will be of the Supreme Court about possibly changing the results of one of these swing states? Remember, even if they just get Biden below 270, then it switches into the House of Representatives. There's this constitutional process. And all of a sudden, we have a very different, a very different election that Trump could, in fact, win. We have 26, uh, 26 of the states would would be Republican based on uh, based on their congressional delegation. So, yeah. Do you think the Supreme Court is going to be willing to do that? You think the Supreme Court will have the backbone to say, yeah, we're going to throw out 600,000 votes in Pennsylvania. They were illegally cast. You weren't allowed to do this the way they did it. 
they weren't allowed to change the election so that they could count them afterwards or you know whatever whatever the specifics of it may be. What do you think the streets would be like in this country then? I'm not advocating against the Supreme Court making that call. I hope they do. I'm just trying to take you into the mindset of the different judges here and why the Democrats still remain very confident that really no matter what, they'll end up getting their way. The mayhem on the streets would be like nothing we've ever seen if what if in their minds the Supreme Court took another election. They think that they stole the 2000 election for Bush, even though no Bush won that election. Every analysis of it, every vote count, Bush won Florida. That was reality. OK. But they they still have a narrative. And as you know, that's what really matters among the libs, among the Democrats. They have a narrative that the only reason that Bush won in 2000 was because of the Supreme Court. What do you think they would do now when they're going around saying that Trump is a fascist if the Supreme Court allowed him to get four more years? Just let's all be very clear about what the ramifications for the country would be. I still think that what matters is who won and that there and that you can't allow cheating and that this is the center of our whole system. Right. I, I believe that. But I'm just saying these are pressures that are put on the system that may prevent an honest and fair response, even from the Supreme Court on exactly on exactly what happened here. Here's. Um, I mean, there's plenty of examples of this. Here's a guy on MSNBC. This is what they're still saying about the president for bringing legal challenges. They compare him to and his base. They compare Trump supporters to Nazis. They really say this. Play two. And I think because we've seen how close we came this time, that if there is this drive among what is now the Republican Party, I guess the Trump Party, to make sure this can't happen again, to make sure that our people are in position to do what wasn't done this time, we've got a problem. Uh, Because I can see in 2022 a number of these Republicans being removed from their jobs and replaced by people who are willing to do whatever it takes to keep their candidate in power or to put him in power. And once you have the state legislators asserting that power, I then worry about the courts because there are people, even on the Supreme Court, who believe the state legislature's power is almost uh, total. And so I think uh, I'm using a very blunt metaphor here, Joe. If you remember or if you know how the German Luftwaffe used the Spanish Civil War as a testing ground for their theories, I think we may be seeing some of the more extreme supporters of someone like Donald Trump saying, we've learned from 2020, we know what to do next time. Yeah, the Nazi Air Force. That's right. We, we, we got to bring Nazis in. You can't talk about Trump and his supporters without finding a way to make your, make your uh, World War II analogy. And of course, Trump is the Third Reich. These people are insane. They really are, but they, they don't stop. Uh, No, we're trying to use the legal process. We are trying to use the avenues open to us to find out what really happened here, because we've already established it's a heck of a thing that Joe Biden won this election. It's for anybody who understands how these elections tend to work and how it all plays out. It's a pretty big shock. A pretty big shock. But here we are. Here we are. Being told that, oh, no, nothing to see here. It's fine. Joe Biden was just so inspiring. 
you know, this this doddering old fool. Oh, I wear a mask and I'm sitting here and, you know, I'm just sort of saying the things that I've been saying for a long time. And here I am, you know, no joke, no joke. Uh, that that guy got over 80 million votes and blew away all of these different expectations, all of these different metrics that have been used to correctly, after the fact, predict who the president would be, right? So once you see these numbers, you know, oh, whoever won that, won the election, didn't count anymore. Uh, There's something going on here, friends. We all know it. And there are enormously powerful and influential forces doing everything that they can to make sure that we don't get the answers to all of this. Think about what it would mean. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. If we can prove, and I mean really prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there was a Democrat plot to steal this election from Donald Trump, which given the rhetoric they used and their belief that he stole the 2016 election with Russian help and Russia collusion, that he's a fascist, that he's a threat to our democracy. They say that all the time. I mean, that's common. That's the standard way Democrats describe this president. Given that that's their view of him, why would it be so unbelievable that they would take extreme, even even illegal actions that go to the very core of our republic? that kick right at the load-bearing walls of our system. Why would it be unbelievable they would do that? No, I would say if I believed that a sitting president was, was really a, a fascist who was trying to destroy the whole system and was going to purge his enemies and, you know, real fascism stuff, yeah, I think a little vote cheating would probably be the necessary remedy, if, if not a lot more. But Democrats assure you that would never happen. That would never happen. Be quiet, peasant. Do as you're told. Wear your mask. Don't ask questions about this election. That's what they tell us. And I say no. 